This is the Author Archive podcast, and I had a conversation with Simon Seabag Montefiore, the historian, in October 2000, when his Life of Potemkin, Prince of Princes, was first published. It's a fabulous book. It's lovely. I still have it on my shelf, and Simon tells the story so well. I started off by saying, okay, if you met Potemkin in 18th century Russia, you'd find, what, a big bear of a man? Yes, he's a big bear of a man, quite, um, quite an unusual face, one eye, auburn brown hair, very long, and a giant. I mean, how About how six big? foot three or something. I mean, he became very fat later when he was old, but in, in his sort of prime, in his, when he was in his 30s, he was supposed to be the most beautiful man in St. Petersburg. You say when he got old, he was fat, but he died when he was 53, so yes. old is a relative term. 52, yes. He, he died very young, but they did. I mean, Peter the Great also died at 52, funny enough. I think people who travelled very much and had immense pressure, there, were no bureau- there was very little bureaucracy then, so if you were running half Russia, you had to do everything yourself. I mean, you wrote your letters, you had to travel everywhere personally. And so you spent a lot of time in carriages um, going back and forth. Uh, which was a miserable way to travel in those days. I mean, this, this book, Labour of Love, how long did it take you? It's five years since I five decided years. to write it, but um, mm. three years full-time. You just imagine, if he spent... He died when he was 52, one year out, and he spent a lot of time in carriages. He was busy, wasn't he, he? To he have was lived busy. this amount. He was busy. He really was busy. I mean, he had so much going on. I mean, he was not only um, basically co-emperor of Russia... Um, he was also conducting umpteen love affairs, sending shopping expeditions to Paris, Milan, God knows where else. He was collecting art, he was building English gardens, he was running the army, he was building a navy, he was founding, um, he was founding uh, cities all around the Black Sea. I mean, this was a man who lived every minute. He was an insomniac, so he did a lot of it at night. Um, he was an impossible man, but a wonderful character. I, I mean, you become a fan reading this, but as you say, impossible, hypochondriac. Was he a bit of a control freak as well? Total control freak, um, and an appalling hypochondriac. Um, always thought he was ill, and um, and of course he probably often was quite ill. But because of who he was, he could just go to bed for weeks. Everyone had to come and see him in bed, and um, he 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 did exactly what he wanted. Okay. And he, he started almost from a standing start. I mean, he yes. achieved all of this with, with no natural help. He was a self-made man, in a sense. I mean, he, he was born um, as the son of a, of, a, of a very provincial colonel. I mean, he was a nobleman, but a very poor nobleman. I mean, he was a sort of backwards, son of a very, very me- mediumly rich um, backwards squire, put it like that, in thousands of miles from St. Petersburg. And... Um, he was really he was made by his friendship with Catherine the Great and his love affair with Catherine the Great and her recognition of his talents. But really, he was a self-made man in, in the real sense that, that, that it was his talents that made him. But he wanted to meet Catherine the yes, Great, and yes. he he worked his way around so that he made bloody sure he did. Yes, he was twenty-one or twenty-two when he when he managed to get to meet the Empress of all the Russias, and he was very lucky that he happened to be there on the day she seized power, which is always a good moment to be around, and he brought himself to his, her attention on that day, and she noticed, he, she was ten years older than him, um, she noticed that he was a very intelligent man and a, and a very original man. But didn't he say, you, you need something, I forgot what it was, and mm. gave her his? Yes, yes, on the very day that she seized power, 
um, the entire sort of army was gathered outside in, in Palace Square, outside the Winter Palace. And um, he noticed that um, she didn't have a sword knot on her sword. So he galloped up across the whole square, introduced himself, bowed, and gave her the sword knot, which she put on. And there's a famous portrait in the book which, um, uh, which, which shows her in that costume. She was dressed as a man. It's all very theatrical. And Catherine, this legendary figure, as you say somewhere in the text, uh, what all schoolboys know about her is that she's an nymphomaniac. You say, no, 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 she wasn't. Mm. But um, very sensuous woman. And she'd been married to this, uh, what would you call him, wimp? Yes. He was worse than a wimp. He was, he, was, he was a big fool. And you simply couldn't be emperor of Russia and be a fool because you'd be killed very quickly. And of course, he, he was killed so quickly. He was killed within six months of acceding to the throne. Why did she marry him? She had no choice. I mean, she, her mother arranged it when she was 14, and they went off on this amazing expedition to Russia um, into the unknown, really. They were very, the mother was very ambitious. Of course, Catherine was an incredibly talented politician. I mean, she survived almost, she survived almost 20 years before she became empress herself, just being very, being very clever, never to offend her. But she, I mean, she was, she was, a, she was an adept politician, second had, to none. Had she got a child by the time Potemkin met yes. her? She'd had, she'd had um, two or three children by that time, by different men, of course. Um, one by her husband, purportedly, but in fact, probably Paul, the heir to the throne, who succeeded as Emperor Paul, probably was the son of someone called Serge Saltikov, who was her first lover. But the fact that she had lovers, I mean, the thing about nymphomaniacs and horses and all this sort of thing, which, which I, I go into some detail in the book, um, she didn't really need to be a nymphomaniac. I mean, she had, I think she had 12 lovers, definite lovers, in, in her 67 years, which, you know, is actually, and considering it's very unfair that she's got a reputation as an nymphomaniac, considering that most people have 12 lovers nowadays before they, before they get married at 30 or something, you know, at least. So in fact, the numbers um, don't really, she doesn't really deserve the nymphomaniac title, but she was a very sensuous woman. And you say that um, she... She galloped energetically. Mm. I mean, mm. her horse riding, she, yes. you get the feeling of this woman with, with a kind of lust and gusto for life. Yeah, absolutely. She was, one doesn't have to sort of, this is all, of course, pre-Freudian, but one doesn't really mm. need Freud to analyse why she liked riding astride the horse a lot. Um, she had a very miserable life, actually. In fact, the marriage that she had with, with um, Peter was so unhappy and so unsatisfying for a sort of passionate, intelligent woman. And she needed a, a life partner. And um, hence, there was a sort of series of these lovers, all of whom were wrong in one way or another. And finally, there was Potemkin, who was, um, as the sort of letters prove between them, who really was the love of her life and the best friend of her life. But there's, um, it, it didn't happen immediately. That you talk about Potemkin right. sort of wandering around, um, getting all impatient and yes. walking up the stairs or, or walking down the stairs and he meets the previous incumbent. And That's says, right. Yes. What's, what happened? Oh, he, he says, how are you, to, to, print, to Prince Orlov? And he said, um, I'm going down, you're going up, or whatever. Mm. You know, but I mean, the thing is, that, um, it was, that's, I think that makes it more romantic, in fact, that she knew him for 12 years before she took him as a lover. And um, all that time, he was in, passionately in love with her and would sort of fall to his knees whenever they bumped into each other. Because the Winter Palace is full of corridors. And you actually, if you were at court and you were a chamberlain at court, you would actually bump into the Empress several times a day. I mean, it seems un unlikely to us, but that's the way it worked. Um, normally, you'd just bow and sort of, you know, you might exchange a few words. But he would fall to his knees, grab her hand, kiss her, and say, I'm in love with you, you know, make me your lover, let me make love to you, which was, of course, 
totally outrageous, um, even then. How did he come to get the bad eye, lose the eye? What happened? That's a mystery. I mean, the, the, the legend is that the Orloff brothers, who were the sort of rather um, these sort of tough um, soldiers who'd helped Catherine come to power, and one of them, Grigory Orloff, was her previous lover, um, that they sort of um, beat him up during a game of billiards. Everyone was always playing billiards in those days. Um, the truth, we just simply don't know the truth. I think it's unlikely they would have done that because even though the Russian court was pretty chaotic, it wasn't that, that unruly. Um, but um, I think it's probably more like it was some sort of infection. But the point was it caused a sort of, very like um, uh, Roosevelt's polio, it sort of made a man of him. Before then he was this rather prancing um, playboy type, very beautiful. And then of course he lost his confidence, but it made him much more interesting as a man. And that was, I think that was the moment when he became the person who could be Catherine's lover. You, you describe him as looking vaguely piratical with yes. Um, yes. bandage over his head. Yeah. Um, he was a great poser, of course. I mean, he loved costumes and um, he used to, I mean, if he, he, he very carefully um, dressed. I mean, he could dress absolutely immaculately as an 18th century gentleman or prince, but he also liked to make the point deliberately, which also Peter the Great did, funnily enough, which is that, like, I'm so important, I don't have to wear your uniforms, I don't have to wear anything. And that was what the point he was making, in a sense, when he used to walk through her, you know, walk through her apartments where she would be meeting an ambassador. He'd walk through wearing a fur-lined dressing gown, nothing else. No shoes. No shoes, no stockings. A bandana, you say? With a, ba with a pink bandana on, probably eating a radish or an apple or a turnip or something. And he'd just wander through, chat, sort of talking to himself. And he was making a point. Everyone knew that he could come and go as he wanted. He wasn't like a normal lover. He wasn't even like a normal chief minister. He was above all that. And he made this point very clearly in a, in a characteristically flamboyant manner. Before you start talking about power, before he has the power, he becomes yeah. a war hero. That's right. Um, what did he do? Um, he, he was a cavalry commander against the Turks. And he was, um, he was simply a very talented cavalry commander. Um, and that was very important because it made, it made him a name so that she, could, she felt she could then summon him because he was, already a, he was already a war hero and had the prestige, which was, of course, the great way to get prestige in those days. Um, so that when he was called, at least people didn't say, who is this, but he's completely insignificant, you know. Um, and then, of course, she summoned him to power. And she was in a great crisis herself at that time. I mean, her son, who was really the rightful emperor, because she had no claim to the throne at all, um, he wanted, he was coming of age and he wanted some share in government which she was not going to give him. Um, then there was this huge peasant revolt to, which inflamed the entire southern provinces and threatened the throne itself, um, the Pugachev rebellion. And so she had these terrible crises and then of course she had no lover and she was lonely and desperate herself and had no one to lean on. So she, she immediately began to think of him of course and they became closer and closer. But you say he writes to her, sort of, dear Empress, can, can you yeah. make me this, this and this? And she writes back and says, well, I'm really impressed that you went straight to me instead That's of right. doing the shenanigans. That's right. He was shameless. He, had, um, he, 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 uh, he, he went for things, absolutely. And that was very much his character, a complete exuberance, of, you know, an irresistible exuberance. And she actually wrote him a, letter, a very romantic letter, said, come back. I know you're sitting by besieging some town and freezing in freezing Bulgaria or wherever, but come back because I, I think you know that I think highly of you. And of course, this was what he'd been waiting for for 12 years. So he leapt on his horse and rushed back. But first he had to fight his way out of where he was. He was quite likely to have been killed during that expedition. So 
you know, then he went, made it back to St. Petersburg. And then, of course, when he arrived there, she was, she was incredibly cautious and didn't want to, was nervous about making him her lover again. So then, typically, he decided he was going into a monastery. So he, um, so he, he said he was giving up all, um, all, all worldly goods. He wasn't at all interested in anything. And he went to this monastery. Of course, the monastery didn't know what had hit it because um, there were these people kept turning up from court and court carriages and ladies kept coming with messages from the emperors. And the monks must have been very distracted. <laughs> but it worked, of course. Yeah. And, and so, she, so he got made her lover. But that, being her lover, didn't, of course, make, her, make him the leading man of the country. That was the interesting thing. Most of the lovers were completely insignificant, desperate to be important, but never were. And you, he, he seized important. He became important because of his intelligence and, and his drive and his imagination. And he seems to... You, you make the point that she became sexually obsessed with him. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's a picture of, yeah. that you paint of her hanging around outside his door for a couple of hours. That's amazing. We know this is true because of the letters, so there's no doubt about it that the emperors of all the Russias, the autocratics of, of this vast empire, would go and hang around outside his room and look through the sort of peer through the, 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 the crack in the door to see what he was doing. And if he was talking to someone, she was she, she was afraid to interrupt him, because he was because he was such a such a such an ebullient character, but he was also very bored, like a lot of men are, with people being over keen on him and hanging around. Um, on his, you know, on, uh, sort of bothering him. So she was terrified of that. But also, of course, you know, he, there was a sort of decorum at court, and the empress couldn't really go into people's rooms in front of everybody else. It would spread immediately that the empress had walked into his room when he was in a meeting and begged to see him, and she'd look a fool. Because it was just like courts then were like courts now. People gossiped the whole time. So she actually, she, there were things that she couldn't really do. But the letters are kind of for oh, you were great in bed mm. last night. Mm. By the way, what should we do about you know? And the the, the politics and mm. the love and the sex are in the same sentence. That's right. That's right. They are the most. I think they are the most romantic letters ever written because simply because of the intelligence and politics and power mixed with this sort of incredible sexual passion and friendship. I mean, I don't know any other letters that are quite like that. You compare them to. I mean, Antony and Cleopatra may have written letters. Of course, none survive. Um, but they're, they were two, they're the only other two who I can think of who were both incredibly adept politicians. And he carried her letters to him next to his heart. That's right. Death. That's right. And when he died, he got them all out and wept on them. And some of them, some of them actually have tears. Some of them were wet. You know, you can still see well, this much. Because the book starts with his death being taken out from a carriage to, to sort of lie on the grass. That's right, in the middle of the steps. In the middle of the steps. Which was totally appropriate for him. Because um, so you're saying, you actually said then when he died he took yeah. them out, but yes. he must have been prior to his de death. But yes. it, was it at that time then? Yes, he had them out then. As he died he had them out with him. And they were, they were, they were all wrapped up in um, like banknotes. So the, the emperor said to him, like, be careful with those because someone will snick them thinking that they're... Um, Thinking that they're all their banknotes, and yes. then only when they get home will they find out that they're the most secret correspondence in Russia. Oh, it's, it's so it's so touching, isn't it? Mm, it's very touching. Um, and you say that you don't know whether they married or not. That's right. But I think I think that for, it doesn't really matter whether it was a service or not. Though I think there would have been. Um, the point was that they that, that everyone treated him as if they were, and she treated him as if they were married, which is the point. I mean, they had terrible rows all the time. And um, people who didn't understand their relationship thought this must be the end he was going to get be got rid of. 
um, and be dismissed. But of course, it never happened because it, she, she, she herself said, "You're permanent," and um, and so um, so they, they were they were devoted to each other. But they were very irritated by each other all the time, of course, like all married couples. Yet. This guy obviously cut a dash. This, the book is called Prince of Princes, The Life mm. of Potemkin. Who was it that said he was? If you met all the, the main yeah. people on the globe at yeah. that time, yeah. this was the guy who stood out. Well, I mean, virtually everyone who met him said that. I mean, the Prince de Lille said he was the most extraordinary man he ever met. Comte de Ségur, who was a great diplomat, said that he was the most original man in Europe. And, of course, Jeremy Bentham, the philosopher, said that he was the Prince of Princes of Europe at that time. So... Altogether, a remarkable man. And you have to keep reminding yourself that Catherine was ten years older. That's right. Than him. That's right. So, what's your view of this woman? I mean, this is one little bit where she be, uh, where she acts like a rock groupie, mm. and you you wonder where you get all these details from. That she went, that she did the plaster cast thing. Oh yes, yes, plaster cast. Is, we don't know if that's true. Um, but that is that. That's 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 one of the sort of hilarious things that you find when you dig around in these sort of subjects. Is that um, Potemkin later became a sort of gay cult figure a um, hundred years later in St Petersburg because there were apparently these plaster casts or um, of penises, erect penises, which Catherine was supposed to have had made. Um, and um, the uh, people like Diaghilev, the um, ballet russe um, impresario, and his friends used to sort of get them out from the Hermitage and hand them round with bated breath. Um, we, d- we don't know if that's actually true, but they certainly handed these things around, but we don't know if they were actually Potemkins. But certainly if Catherine had done anybody, she would have done Potemkin. But whether that actually happened or not is, 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 is doubtful. If they did get married and you think they did, yeah. would they, was this a marriage faithful partner? No, I mean, that, one of the most interesting things about their relationship was this kind of open marriage that they, they arranged. They negotiated it, and we can see it in the letters, which is just gripping. Um, they... Um, they, they both realised they could not live with each other. They were, the reason was they were exactly the same. They were both highly strung, nervous, very keen on power, extremely vain, and extremely clever and needed to sort of use their talents. And they were also both... I mean, they, they both needed constant sort of companionship and, lo- and lovers and so on. And, of course, if Potemkin was to have a career and run the, help run the country, he couldn't possibly be wandering around with her playing cards all day. So... They worked out this bizarre relationship where they each had their own younger lovers. And his lovers were often his nieces, who were all about 20 years old. He was now about coming into his 40, 40s. And um, so he had these great, great passionate love affairs with these beautiful nieces, who were the most beautiful girls at court. She had a series of guardsmen who were often his um, Potemkin's adjutants. And um, they, they advised each other about their love affairs. I mean, she often wrote to him and said, You've driven him. You've driven this girl mad. You've got to do something about it, or else she'd say, she'd say, for God's sake, you're making a fool of yourself with this one. Get rid of her. Um, other times that he'd he'd write to her and say, he'd say to her, look, this man's being unfaithful to you. Watch him. He's he's making a fool of you, um, Catherine. And um, she would ignore him, of course, and say, um, say, I'm sure it's all fine. But then, of course, that when when they discovered that they were right, they'd come together again and mourn mourn their doomed love affairs together. And that was a lovely thing. They were friends. They were such friends. There's a bit of Potemkin's mother disapproving of the way he goes on. That's right. That's right. <laughs> because she disapproved because he was sleeping with his nieces. And, of course, they were, they were her great nieces. And um, she, was, um, she was appalled because she was an old-fashioned lady of the church and so on. Um, 
But, um, but Temkin just tossed her letters into the fire. He didn't have a very good relationship with his parents, actually. That's one of the th interesting things about him. Um, his father was a terrible, half-mad martinet. And his mother was this um, rather grandiose, rather ambitious, tough woman who brought him up. Um, but he was very loved by her. He was, very, he was brought up in a household of sisters and, and um, his mother. I think that affected him, made him very good at manipulating women. So we have this picture of this hyper-intelligent, tall bloke with one eye. Um, yeah. Other, well, tell me, just as we finish, sort of the concluding, glittering set pieces, the balls. Um, there seems to have been one ball. There, was a, the well, there, there were some amazing set pieces. Um, I think, I mean, I think that um, his, there are two set pieces that are worth mentioning. I mean, one is, the, of course, the massive trip to the Crimea in 1787, when Catherine, um, accompanied by the Holy Roman Emperor Joseph II, the Habsburg Emperor, um, and all the ambassadors of the great powers, um, set off on this extraordinary junket, really, um, to show that um, Russia was interested in being a Near Eastern power and keeping the Crimea. And Potemkin had conquered these places and built all the towns there and built the Russian navy there, which is, of course, still there, and built the towns of Odessa and Sebastopol and so on. And he was the impresario of this amazing trip. And, um, and I think you know, the things that happened on that trip, the sort of huge firework displays, the dancing peasants, the English gardens um, planted overnight, um, the, um, the entire regiment of women dressed as Amazons um, who did shooting tricks for the Empress. I mean, all of this was extraordinary. And I think um, that is one of them. But the other one which you refer to is shortly before he died, he held this extraordinary ball in St. Petersburg, which I found the invitation, one of the only invitations that I think exists of it. In, um, I found it in Odessa in the archives. But this ball was tremendously romantic because Catherine and Potemkin were old by then. I mean, he was 52, she was 62, and both of them were fat and exhausted from 30 years of being in power, which is, does exhaust people. I mean, one only has to look at our own politicians after 10 years they're finished. Um, and they still loved each other. And it's a terribly moving moment when he says goodnight to her at his palace. And he's arranged with the orchestra and the, the choir that if she stays the night at the palace, she will, he'll, um, um, he'll place his hand on his heart. And if not, he'll make another, he won't make any sign. And if the, so if she's leaving, they'll, they'll sing tragic songs, which he's written, by the way. He's written the lyrics to. Um, and of course, she doesn't stay the night. Um, but he falls to his knees in front of the 5,000 guests and um, kisses her hand, and both of them burst into tears uh, because they're old, and they may, he's going to the south again, and he's not very well, and they may never meet again. And, um, and he puts his hand on his heart, and they bring to sing, the, the choir and orchestra sing this beautiful um, song about being so in love and so on, and the two of them just stand there weeping. And I think that's the, sort of one of the highlights of the book. And it is a fabulous book. It really is so enjoyable. Prince of Princes, Life of Potemkin, the work, major work of Simon Seabag Montefiore. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And that conversation with Simon Seabag Montefiore was recorded in the autumn of 2000, when Prince of Princes, The Life of Potemkin was first published. This is the Author Archive.